Hi friends, welcome to another video slash episode of the James Red Podcast. I wonder if we creators have a tendency to settle for pseudo-mastery of our craft. And what I mean by that is that we don't put in the effort we could to reach the potential we could. In contrast with people who, who are truly great and masterful over their thing. And we have an endless repertoire of people like this to pull inspiration from. And I love to... I love to watch interviews and study people who I would consider masters at their thing. I think it's become easier and easier to create over time. And a good example of this is the film industry. Not too long ago, if you wanted to film a video, edit it, and share it with more than just your mom, or if you're lucky, your extended family because there's a there's a holiday gathering and they're particularly bored, they forgot the card game, and you're like, I made a short documentary about food allergies, let me put the VHS tape in and see if we can get this, see if we can get this thing to work and inspire you guys to not have food allergies. That used to be how, how things work, but now we have the internet and now you can share with many, many people. You have a laptop, you have an, an iPhone, or you just have an iPhone, right? You shoot, edit, share, and you can have 150 people see your thing. Unprecedented, historically speaking. This is fantastic. So there's an ever-growing pool of creators out there. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And... There are a lot of pseudo-masterful creators. I think that's a majority of what we see on a daily basis. But there are truly exceptional people who pop out of that. Let me backtrack because that, that's an interesting statement I just made. That most people we see are pseudo-masterful. I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying that they are bad at what they do or that they're seriously lacking, that they're not worthy of being watched. Pseudo-masterful creators do great work, I think, uh, meaning they do work that is that is meaningful to share with the world, but maybe they're not reaching their full potential, right? Maybe they're not doing their absolute best. Maybe they have fallen into a cultural trend that we all have a tendency to fall into of only putting in the work that we see those around us putting in. But if you get if if you put yourself around somebody who is on an, uh, in another place, they're they're on another level of obsession and dedication you will probably be inspired to break out of the culture that you're used to. And there are endless examples uh, over time of people who are now great who came across other people who are great, and they pushed them to a new place that they never thought they could be pushed to. And I think that we can learn a lot from... We can, we can take pointers from physically disciplined people when it comes to this. Because what physically disciplined people do is they say to themselves, I want to make my body hurt as much as possible 
and overcome it. <laughs> As creators, we tend to naturally avoid this, whether we're trying to or not, because creating tends to be a much more, a much less intensive act for our bodies especially, but for our brains to undertake, unless we're doing it, unless we're intentionally making it intensive and painful for ourselves. But I think I was watching an interview the other day with uh, a Courtney Dowalter, I think is how you pronounce her last name. She's an ultra marathon runner. And she ran a race called the Moab 240, which is a 240 mile race in Moab, just in my backyard here in Utah. She ran this race in under 58 hours, which if that sounds impressive, that's because it is very impressive. She won the race and she killed it. And during this race, she was explaining how this race went for her. And she said that first off that, that, you know, of course there's training that goes into this, but when she was running the race, she said that over this 58 hours, she took, uh, she slept for 21 minutes. She took a 20 minute nap at one point and then took a one minute nap. <laughs> she said that that one minute nap was the best night of sleep she's ever gotten in her life. And <laughs> and this to me is ex- this to me is exceptional dedication to an end, to a, a mastery that you're trying to achieve. I don't have you ever slept for one minute? Have you ever put your body in a place where you need to sleep for one minute? I would say most of us would say no. And this is the difference between us and people who are disciplined to the level of of breaking through the wall of uncomfortability that they may find themselves running into. She said that she was falling asleep while she was running. She said that she she was so tired, pressing through, she was so tired that she was hallucinating. She was explaining some of her hallucinations. One of them was a guy uh, playing a cello silently in the because it's a hallucination. I guess you can have audible hallucinations, but she said it was playing the cello silently, which is just horrifying. Um, there was another race she did where she she went ninety eight percent blind while she was while she was finishing this race or at some point in the race. She went ninety eight percent blind and she finished it. She was stumbling around. She like ran into a rock. She was bleeding out of her head, falling over. She finished it, and she won. This is this is so incredibly inspiring to me. And it tells me, James, you have more in you. You, you spend your time being comfortable. You spend your time trying to not go too far outside of, uh, of your normal zone, the thing that keeps you from being scared. And this is problematic, and I, I want to push myself out of this. And I'm, I'm encouraging you guys to push yourself out of this. What would happen if you pushed yourself out of this? I think that uh, I think Kevin Hart is an exceptional comedian. I think he's unique and authentic, and he's not my favorite com- comedian by any stretch. But he's he's an exceptional comedian. And I was listening to an interview with him. What's interesting is I say he's authentic. He would be the first to tell you that he hasn't always been that way. That when he was performing at comedy clubs in Philadelphia, 
he would run up on stage and just with an endless amount of energy because and, and say ridiculous things because that got people to laugh. But he said that he was a character and someone taught him that he needed to he needed to find himself. He needed to express his authenticity because that sort of that him as a character came to an end in its value. And so he worked he worked hard and he had a long build up as a comedian. If you listen to him talk about his all the work that he's put into getting to where he is now, we're just seeing the end. We're seeing the last 10% of uh, his dedication to his craft. It's finally led to him being a superstar, right? If we look at if we look at uh, skaters, I think skaters are great examples of dedication. I've had the pleasure and the blessing of being able to watch skaters do their thing and and get into that world a little bit more. I spent most of my life not in that world. And so I would see skaters trying something along the way they're at the skate park and then you see them get mad and throw their skateboard at uh at a, a child walking by and the you know the child gets knocked out and you think, hey, you just need to bring it down a notch, okay? But then I realized that, that them throwing that skateboard came after them trying a trick and falling over and over and over. And they want so bad to land that trick. And when they fall, it's like they're being punched, right? I try I've been working on an Ollie. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to um not even master. I'm, try, I'm trying to begin the process of, of being able to get up a curb. That's my main goal right now on my board because I'm very comfortable riding my board. But I run into the second I run into an obstacle that is an, an inch and a half tall, I'm done. I, I can't. My freedom is gone. My liberty is gone. And so I go, I have to ollie. I have to learn how to ollie. Okay. So ollieing is an incredibly technical act. Uh, when you see skaters do it, they make it look quite easy, but I've been sort of figuring it out in my house a little bit. Okay, so I went outside to the pavement, tried to do an ollie, and uh, I got no air, came back down, and the skateboard shot out from under me like the, with the velocity of a SpaceX rocket into a bush, and I fall backwards... And I hit on three different points. And the reason I know that is because all of those points hurt a lot when I when I made contact with the the concrete. I hit my elbow, I hit my side, and I hit my foot. For whatever reason, my foot just slapped the ground. It was ridiculous. And I'm lucky I had a shoe on because I was thinking I probably scraped up my foot underneath my shoe, but I think my shoe kept it from sort of, you know, the rubbing action that can... So anyway... Uh, this was very painful, and I this happened once, and I said, "Okay, I'm done for the day. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this later. I'm gonna sort of do some more. Uh, I'm gonna do some more contemplating and working out how I'm gonna make this work, because I was because it was painful. Okay, so skateboarders do this all day long. They they do this over and over and over and over for you know just thirty minutes at a time of them trying one trick." falling, getting, getting punched, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, and that elicits a response. You're going to throw your skateboard, 
right? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna yell a little bit. You might say something uh, profane. You might say something you don't mean, like, I wish I was never, I wish I never had, I was never here. And then, and then you go later, you go, man, why did I say that? Because you know what? Life is, I'm glad I, I, you know, but this all comes from intense dedication and, and really bravery on their parts. And this is, this is something that I want to incorporate in my life more. Uh, and, and there's an obsession about it as well. There's a deep obsession with, and momentum towards accomplishing this one trick. It's not, even it's, it's not even mastery over the entire art of skateboarding. It's mastery over a single trick. Landing it and hitting it just right and feeling really good about it. And once you start, you don't want to you don't want to stop. You don't want to give it up. But I, I think we know how hard something is going to be to truly master. So we will not we will not engage in the 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 skinned up elbows, metaphorically speaking, that comes with trying to master something. Another example of, of, of obsession, the importance of obsession and mastery, not so much this hardcore, um, you know, going blind while trying to finish a marathon kind of thing, but, but, but playful obsession is, uh, I watched a documentary about Joel Mariowitz, which is, which is a, a street photographer, very legendary street photographer. And one sense I got from this documentary is that he is just obsessed with the street, the nuance of things, you know, everything that's happening around him, the, the way the people move, how they interact with each other, you know, a, a caress of the hand of a lover to another, the energy, the, the, the difference in the energy of the street in New, maybe New York to, uh, you know, a Paris or another city. And he can beautifully articulate this, this nuance. And it's, it's come from his years and years and years of wandering the streets, just looking for serendipity. I find this to be fantastic. Uh, I think that driving a car is a good example of of where you can end up if you dedicate yourself to something. <laughs> it's a weird statement. Driving a car like I do, which is masterful. I'm an amazing car driver. It, well, okay, I'm a pretty good car. Okay, we're going to pretend that I'm somewhat masterful over driving, and I think I'm a pretty solid driver. But the point is, is that I feel like a solid driver. So we're going to pretend that that feeling is, is very real and that my reaction time to any sort of event, you know, tire falling off of a semi-truck would just be miraculous. I'd save everybody's life. I'd hold everybody in the car as, as I'm making this intense 90-degree uh, angle turn on a nickel. And everything turns out good, and we go to Chipotle, right? We finish up our, our wonderful evening with, uh, with uh, you know... Chipotle. <laughs> trying to make that turn into something more interesting than just Chipotle. Chipotle is a great place to eat. Where's that? Oh, so I feel 
as if I'm pretty masterful over driving. Obviously, I have I have, I have nothing on a Formula One racer, I suppose. But I think about when I first got on the road and how timid and weird it was to drive. And it's like driving is a technical pursuit, especially on a highway. Uh, here in Utah, I live pretty close to a highway. And when I get on this highway, there are cars all around me. We're all going 70 miles per hour. We're all switching lanes. But it's amazing to me every day that I get on a highway and get back off a highway uh, without being covered in blood. If if you think about the if you think about what happens on a highway, <laughs> all of these cars going in one direction, attempting to make it to their destination, cutting in front of each other, sometimes very abruptly. It's it's amazing that we all, don't all die every single day. But when I'm driving now, because I've put in all of this time driving out of necessity, not because I'm like I love the craft of driving, but just out of pure necessity. This, in these endless hours of, of building up muscle memory in my feet, my hands, my fingers, feeling how the car feels, uh, I've become somewhat masterful over the craft of driving, and it feels comfortable to me to be around all of these other giant metal bullets of death and chaos. We all maintain order. And I think this is a this is a great example of the the levels of competence you go through as you're trying to master something. You start out sucking. You're you're awful. The first time I got on an interstate, it was one of the scariest experiences of my life. And um, well, no, I, I'll I'll take that back. It was pretty scary. Afterwards, I got off. One of the actual scariest experiences of my life was when I got off. I'm with the driving trainer lady. So I got off. I'm, we're both me and another truck are driving towards a road that merges into uh, two lanes that merge into one. Right. And the truck, I believe had the right of way, but I decided I had the right of way. <laughs> so we both, we're, we're both going towards trying to have the right of way. And we get to a place where the instructor just says, go, like, <laughs> let's, we need to solve this problem that's currently happening, go. So I floored it. I went and I barely made it through in time. And there was silence in the car for a second. And I just said, okay, uh, so, <laughs> what is, it was something along the lines of, okay, what did I do wrong there? <laughs> uh, so that was, that was good. Now, now when I do that, it's sort of like a little blip in my day. I don't know. That was pretty scary. Point is, you start out sucking, and then if we're talking about levels of competent, competent, competence. You start out sucking, and then you are, you are decent at a few things within that craft, whether you're a musician, photographer, filmmaker. Um, you are decent at a few things within that. You start to get a little bit of competence and comfortability, and then it gets a little bit fun because you're you're figuring it out. It's working a little bit. Everything's not just hard and terrible, right? That's the first start. Uh, that's the first position is hard and terrible. Everything is no fun. Then you start to go, oh, okay, 
like I played a little lick on the guitar and that sounded all right. Like I hit all the right notes. That felt good. Let me see if I can do a little faster. Oh, okay. Hard and terrible again. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. A little faster. Feels better again. So you go back and forth between these, these, these levels and you just do this over and over and over and over and over. And then you become masterful at a few things. You get really good at a few things. I think this is where a lot of people, where we find a lot of artists, like where we start to see them and engage with them and feel good about what they're doing. But then there's a point that you get to, and these are the people who are truly great and truly magnificent at their art, where you're, you're, you're comfortable. It's nothing to you. It's your language. It's your second language. I have always said that for me, playing drums is easier than speaking English because I started when I was so young and I, I put in a lot of time just naturally through my love of an obsession with the craft. I could have been better if I put in, if I took that obsession and turned it into more discipline, I could have been even better at my craft. But I am so comfortable playing drums that it's one of the most comfortable experiences of my life. It's one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life. You see a lot of people, singers, um, photographers, uh, you know, plumbers. <laughs> I mean, every single craft you can think of. There are people who are, who are absolutely comfortable. It's just pure, it's almost pure flow state. Or, or it's more often flow state than not, maybe. But it, it feels fantastic to them. And we get to engage in that on, on a deep, passionate, um, f- fundamental level. It's moving to us to watch somebody who is truly masterful at their thing. And who can put who who has matched a level of technicality with a level of emotionality, that there's this intentionality that goes into making those things come together in, in such a such a marvelous way. And this is where we're trying to get to, and it's important that we don't stop before that. So I would love to hear your thoughts. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Goodbye.